Well, hello, Lake Avenue Church. I have a question for each one of you. No matter how old you are, how young you are, the question is this, what don't you know? What don't you know? Or in your mind, do you know pretty much everything there is to know? Are most of your thoughts the right thoughts and those who don't have those thoughts have the wrong thoughts? If we're honest, you and I live in a world that basically says, I am right, and unless you agree with me, you are wrong. We live in a world and at a time where it seems like everyone has the corner on what knowledge is. Everyone seems to have the corner on what truth is. That's why we have a series called Truth and Wisdom. Because when we put ourselves in the position of being all-knowing, when we put ourselves as the source of knowing what truth is, that we can somehow generate correctness within ourselves, we've really messed up how life is to be lived and where knowledge, where wisdom, and where truth come from. Today we're talking about humility. Today we're talking about humility, but to talk about humility, you've got to talk about pride. What is pride? Pride is taking that that belongs to God and ascribing it to ourselves. And if we believe the scriptures and if we have a genuine faith in Jesus, if we center our life out of God and his word, what we pick up pretty quickly is that there is one source of knowledge. We pick up very quickly that there is a single source of truth, and that is God and found in God himself. And so when I ask you the question, what do you know? If everything you know is right or is wrong, see, when we do that, when we place Knowledge, when we place wisdom, that that belongs to God and God alone, and we put it on ourselves, essentially that's pride. Taking what belongs to God and ascribing it to ourselves. Our scripture today is in the book of Proverbs, the 30th chapter. We're going to read a couple of different sections of this chapter. First, four verses. And then we're going to skip ahead to a few other verses. So if you have a copy of the scripture, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Again, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to jump to verse 10. And the scripture reads, The sayings of Agur, son of Jekai, an inspired utterance, this man's utterance to Ithiel. We'll make sense of that in a moment. I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Verse 10. Do not slander servants to their master or they will curse you and you will pay for it. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. 
those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth, those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful, those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among humankind. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And we're going to try to make sense of this poetry. I want you for a moment to remember when we read Proverbs, we're reading just that poetry. We're reading creative writing. We're reading human beings expressing to God in creative ways what it's like to live in his world. And in Proverbs 30, what we find is a reflection, a reflection from one particular person. Now, verse one can be very confusing. In fact, when I read it, I could feel how awkward it was coming out of my mouth. The sayings, verse one, the sayings of Agur, son of Jakah, an inspired utterance, this man's utterance to Ithiel. Now, uh, you are free to research all you want on all the different theories about who these people are and why it matters, but for the purposes of our sermon today, let's just quickly make sense and say this, that there is someone named Agur who has had some revelations about God, and his revelations about God are in relationship to some revelations he has about himself. So we have a reflection from a guy named Agur who has come to understand some things about God in connection and relationship to some things about himself. And so he goes on to explain what that is in verse two when he says, surely I am only a brute, not a man. Now we don't use the word brute unless you're watching old cartoons. Uh, Essentially what he is saying is I am the most ignorant of men. So what's the revelation so far of Agur in what he's learned about himself in comparison to God? He says, I am the most ignorant of men. He goes on to say, I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. What he is doing is leading out with a confession In his reflection, in his creative writing, in his poetry of expressing to God who, what it's like to live in God's world, he is moved to begin his writing with a confession of who he is as a human being. He is looking at himself in comparison to God and he proclaims over and over again that there is a clear difference between him and his ability to know what truth is, to know what knowledge is, to understand life, to understand anything, he is confessing that he is ignorant, that he is ignorant compared to the knowledge of the Holy One. So having confessed his lack of wisdom, having confessed that in context to God, he knows nothing, he goes on to illustrate his point by asking a series of questions in verse four, when he says, again, the purpose of this is to reflect what, who he is in comparison to God, what he knows to be true in comparison to the truth that, that is found in God. And he says, who's gone up to the heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? 
who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. I I love this. Because he's not just confessing from a human perspective what he doesn't know, but in this way of posing these questions, he's proclaiming what he does know about God. Because it's no human being who is able to go up to heaven and come down. It's no human being uh, whose hands can actually gather up the wind. It's no human being who can wrap up the waters in a cloak. It is no human being that establishes the earth. See, these five questions in verse four are meant to demonstrate and communicate divine acts. They are meant to communicate and demonstrate divine acts in such a way to show the foolishness of human comparison. So we have a guy who is reflecting on what he doesn't know in comparison to what he knows of God, and he goes on to illustrate his lack of knowledge and his lack of power and his lack of being God by saying there's only, there's only one person, there's only one being, there's only one God who can do these things. See, he is proclaiming that neither then or now In that time or even now, there is no true comparison between being a human and the living God. What he is essentially saying is that wisdom cannot be generated in mere mortals. Wisdom and knowledge is found in the one who can gather the wind, is found in the one who establishes the earth, is found in the one who can go to heaven and come down. I don't know who your most powerful person is. Kids, I'd love you to reflect. Who do you think the most powerful person is in this world? It might be an athlete, might be a politician. It might be one of your parents. See, if we insert the person we see as the most powerful in the world, it doesn't matter who it is. None of them will fit the criteria of verse four. There's no celebrity, there's no politician, there's no athlete that can go to heaven and come down. There's no single person in this world who can gather the wind. So the psalmist, the the proverb writer here is is saying, he, he is saying that there is no comparison between God and human beings. And he makes the illustration when it's written in the scripture and the illustration holds up today. It still works. Proverbs 30 begins with a human confession declaring the obvious gap between the living God and human beings. And while many of us would agree with that gap, I can hear lots of amens happening from church people. Of course, of course, knowledge and wisdom lives with God. Of course, human beings can't generate wisdom or do the things of God. I think there's an intellectual agreement for many of us, but practically, if we audit our lives, which we will do in this time, if we audit our words, if we audit our perspectives, if we even audit the very question I began with, with what don't you know, that it's fairly obvious to me that we live in a time, in a world, in a culture that doesn't put a lot of joy in humility and confessing what we don't know. We live in a culture and a time that seems to double and triple down that I know what I know and what I know is right. So let's be humble. 
Let's come to this time and this text understanding that although we might intellectually agree that God is the source of all wisdom, very practically you and I struggle to live that truth. And in many ways, our lives reflect human beings saying, I can control the wind. I know what is right. I know what is wrong. I have earned the degrees. I have the experience. I can look at a situation and give the solution. I know how to do this. I have, I, I, I. That is the struggle of being human. It's found in the scriptures and it's being lived in real time with you and me today. And that tension is called pride. Taking that which belongs to God and placing it on ourselves. It's the first sin of the Bible in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve go and eat from the one place God said, do not eat It was them taking control and saying, this that was meant for God, this instruction, this tree, I will take it for myself. And since the garden, you and I and every human being who has lived, who is living, who will live, will struggle to see themselves in comparison. And we might have creative journaling moments of recognizing it like Agar, but in all actuality, pride is a daily constant struggle for even those of us who believe that God is the source of all wisdom. So whether it's the way we view our money, our intellect, time, relationships, perspectives, positions, political affiliation, all of these things lead to pride. Now here's the thing about knowledge. I believe God gives us knowledge. I believe God grants us truth. But it's really a tension for us between ownership and stewardship. See, ownership says that I can generate and own knowledge for myself. I can figure it out. I put myself in the center of the story. I am capable of figuring this thing out. That's ownership of truth and knowledge and wisdom. Stewardship recognizes that anything I know to be true or wise comes from God and I've been given it by God and it's mine to steward, not mine to own. And what we're going to do today as we jump into the next set of verses we have read is see some very general categories of temptation where our stewardship goes goes a little off. The places in which pride seems to show up most often. That's why I love the scripture. I love that something that's written so long ago in such a different context still contains the human struggle. We've already seen it and we're going to see it in real clear terms. But before we jump into the temptations of pride, the need and what humility can look like, can we understand the baseline here? The baseline is this. We have to own our ignorance. We have to own that you and I, in comparison to God, know nothing. And that anything we do know has been given to us by God, not to lord over others, not to own in an unhealthy way, but to steward so that we can be a part of his mission and his his advancing of his name in this world. So can we own our ignorance Lake Avenue Church? I know in 2020, it's not... Uh, It's not very in vogue to own ignorance. We're supposed to know everything and do everything right and be correct about everything and, and make the perfect decisions about everything all the time. I pray that there's an invitation today to ignorance. 
to owning ignorance because it's in that space of ignorance that we see God for who he is and we can receive truth and we can get very practical on what it means to live in God's world. Because although we need to own our ignorance, the beautiful truth is this, is that God, that God grants us an ability to be in relationship with the all-knowing, all-powerful God and he gives us, he gives us truth. So I love the confession of the, song, of, the, of the writer here in chapter 30 when he says, nor have I attained to the knowledge of God. Because I can say that with all truth, but I think we can also say God has given us his knowledge and that's to be celebrated, it's to be true. I want to remind you, if you are not familiar with a, with a really important verse in Philippians that gives us some context and direction because how we combat pride is with humility and humility is not a generic virtue. It's found even in the person and ministry of Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, verses three to eight, says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was that mindset? Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, and even death on a cross. Brothers and sisters at Lake Avenue Church, there is a call on us not only to resist pride, but to embrace humility. Remembering that we have this amazing example and model of humility in Jesus, who he, him very self, made nothing, took nothing on, took on the nature of a servant and he humbled himself and took on death on the cross for you and me. See, pride says me, myself, and I first. Humility says the other first, God first. And Jesus is the most clear example we have of setting aside himself for fulfilling God's purposes for him and in loving you and me. Me first is human, God first is Christian. So Proverbs 30 goes on to give us some very concrete places where pride needs to be addressed and where humility needs to be cultivated. I'm gonna share with you briefly on them. First in verses 10 and 11, what we see is that our mouths get us in trouble and we need some humility as it comes to our mouths. In the poetic form, it says, do not slander a servant to their master or they'll curse you or you'll pay for it. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Two very different examples, but one common theme. The first point, the first part in verse 10, uh, talks about to uh, slander, um, to, speak, uh, to speak false or damaging statements about someone, using our words to hurt another person. Verse 11 goes on to speak very specifically about how we're to speak to parents by contrasting cursing their fathers, do not, not blessing their mothers. Uh, these are obvious correlations to the fifth commandment, which instructs us to honor our mother and father. But in both of these verses, we see that our mouths, our words matter. And I would argue that one of the most clear places where pride shows up is in the way we speak and in the world you and I live in, the words that come out of our hands on the computer. 
that it's, it's in our very words that proclaim me, myself, I, and do not seek to bless God or bless the other. From servants to parents, our words are not to slander and curse others, but rather we are to bless others. Our words matter. We are to be the kind of people who respect those we speak to. In an employment relationship, in a family relationship, respect is what cuts through verses 10 and 11. And I will suggest to you again that the place that pride most easily and often shows up is in our mouths, is in our words, is in our fingers. And you and I are called to humility. We're called to have humility in our speech and in our words. We're called to speak with respect to those in our lives. Here's the tension for us. I'm sure you already see it. No one does this. We live in a time where it's almost celebrated to slander someone. We live in a time where disrespect is what gets likes. We live at a time where it's great to demean someone. We live at a time where it's celebrated when we use our words written or spoken to tear someone down. Pastor Greg recently preached a powerful sermon about this, but disrespect, harshness, cursing, blaming, bashing, and the list goes on and on. And Lake Avenue Church, if you are unaware, it is 2020 in what is going to be a very difficult election process from here till November. And one of my deepest concerns for us as a body of Christ is can we make it through this season with our mouths not continuing to hurt one another? Can we actually be a group of people who take the humble posture and although might have different opinions about candidates and positions, but enter relationship and conversation and chat rooms and Facebook threads and Instagram comments? Can we do those things in a way that says, I respect? Just because everybody else is doing something doesn't mean we get to do it. And we do not take our cues from the culture. We do not take our cues from politicians. We do not take our cues from anything other than the word of God. And today I am encouraging us to understand that one of the, the, the toughest places of pride is when our mouths show up. And can we make it? I'll give you very practical steps at the end of this message of some commitments, some articles, some things I'd like you to read and, and that you might take a vow of sorts that over the next many months, that your mouth, that your words will be used with respect and that we can actually cultivate humility in, a, in an environment of hostility. Our words matter both spoken and written. Prideful words kill relationships. They do not honor God. And we need humility. The second area that the proverb speaks to is the humility that we can find in the mirror. <laughs> Being able to see ourselves correctly. In verse 12, those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. This is about the self-righteous person. This is about those who are so very convinced of their own purity and correctness that they forget to actually examine themselves. 
See, the Bible speaks about this all over. Jesus himself says in Matthew, why do you focus on the speck of dust in someone else's eye while you have a plank coming out of your own? In Romans 12, it says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. There's a specific focus here in Proverbs 30 around moral superiority. Purity and filth. This is the kind of person who ignores the sin in their own life and is disgusted by the sin in someone else's life. I've told this story several times. I was a pretty good kid in high school. I was a a good Christian youth group kid. And for most of my high school experiences, when my classmates would get together on the weekend and do things that high school kids do, I would look at them with a level of judgment. I mean, I can't believe they're drinking those things or doing these things. And I was in a place of moral superiority. While I was looking at them with judgment, you know what I was doing is I was, had a job working at a Christian bookstore and I was stealing money from the Christian bookstore. How does that work? How, how is it that I could look at a group of people making moral choices with such judgment and forget to look in the mirror and see where my life is inconsistent? We are human. And that human ability to look at disdain on someone else and judgment on someone else and not see ourselves in the mirror clearly is just part of being human. We have this amazing ability to think the world revolves around us There's this consistent tendency to believe that the way that we see things, live and do things is the right way and everybody else is wrong. And the scripture and this warning in verse 12 is to have a humble view of ourselves, to be able to take time to accurately see ourselves in the mirror, to remind ourselves that we might feel like we're pure in our own eyes, but behind that a little deeper is a lot of filth. We have to be reminded that we're no more deserving than anyone else of God's grace and love than someone else, but we have to look at each other with sober judgment. Like having a church, again, I'm encouraging us. I'm encouraging us to find generous and kind and humble ways to view one another, to not assume the worst of someone else or to fill in the blank or to, to not see ourselves accurately when we are in, 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 a, in a moment of comparison. It is critical for us not just to have humility with our mouths, but to find humility when we see ourselves, to see ourselves as, as the scripture begins. I'm just a brute beast. I haven't attained knowledge. I, I, I think Paul even says of all the sinners, I'm the chief of them. It's owning our ignorance, owning our sin, owning our our stuff. So our mouths and the mirror. In verse 13, there's humility needed in the way we view our position. Uh, Verse 13, those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. This is really a a call to away from arrogance because arrogance is a lethal posture in the faith community. It has been lethal for the church over history and it can be lethal for the church today. Verse 13 describes a person whose gaze is up. That's that haughty word. Whose gaze is up and gives disdainful glances down. One who thinks of themselves higher than others and higher than even God. Haughty isn't a word that we use this off, that often, but it's the idea of being superior. Being superior to others 
And that idea that I and my people and people who are like me are superior to other people is as old as humanity. Arrogance and superiority have been responsible for so much death and destruction throughout the scripture and throughout history. Wars have been waged, people have been oppressed, individuals, communities, countries, races, religions. So many things have dark histories of superiority whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances of others are so disdainful. Can we remember back to Philippians? That Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. See, Jesus, again, is our example in the, in the pull of, of pride that my position, my uh, perspective, my identity is more important than others. We have to remember that Jesus made, made himself nothing. He did not use his God's status for his own advantage, he used his status for others. He used his position for others. He humbled himself for the sake of others. He wasn't haughty, even though he was above all. He is the one who could be above all, but he took on the nature of a human being, came down, lived and dwelled among us. Lake Avenue Church, we continue to be on a journey to take all that God has given us. And we have been given a lot, almost 130 years of history, Incredible piece of property, an incredible history, some hard parts of our history too. God has given us a lot and he has not given us a lot so that we might hold it over the city of Pasadena. He hasn't given us a lot so that we can hold it over other churches. He hasn't given us a lot so that we can find uh, uh, some arrogance in our identity as a community and as a church. He has given us a lot so that we might give away a lot. Everyone is made in God's image. No one is lower in the Lord's eyes, but it takes humility and discipline for us to not keep our heads up and looking at everybody and everything that is like us, but to be different, to use all that God has given in a humble way for the sake of others. Jesus didn't act this way and we should not either. The final point I want to talk about is in verse 14 and it's the need for power. So we have our mouths in our mirror and we have position and power. And what feels very disconnected, but hang with me, let's see if we can't make sense of this. It says, those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from mankind. What we read in verse 14 is there are poor there are the poor and there are those that devour the poor. There are those that feel superior, going back to position, and there are inferior people. There are the poor, needy, and destitute, and there are people who exploit and seek to destroy these supposed inferior people. See, that is pride. Me over them. Me, myself, and I. Not you, not us. And in this verse, what we see is that there's a socioeconomic reality to the way pride shows up that puts our view of ourselves above someone of a different circumstance, a different life situation. And throughout the Bible, we see a clear call from God to not only be aware of the poor, but to care for and provide for the poor. Proverbs is showing us that it's not only people aren't providing for the poor, they're exploiting the poor to make money. 
The scripture is clear. We're not to profit from them. We are not to exploit the poor. But we are to care for the poor. So whether we want to start at the very beginning and the instructions in Deuteronomy about welcoming strangers and leaving the edges of a field so those who don't have money can eat, or we want to look at the life of Jesus who says, how you treat the least of these is how you treat me. Throughout the scripture, God has a heart and he wants his people to not only not exploit the poor, but to provide for the poor. And pride is something that gets in the way of us actually doing that, getting in the nitty and gritty of following Jesus in that way. We, like Jesus, are to use our power to empower others. So we can recognize that there's some horrific people in this world who actually exploit the poor. It's a sin of commission. It's not just a call not to do bad things to them. There's a larger call on us to to be proactive towards the poor. So we ought not have pride that, hey, I don't don't exploit the poor. The question becomes, what are we doing to help the poor? We're called to protect and to defend people from the people who are oppressing, those who are exploiting. We have a higher calling to provide for those who are on the margins, those without money, status, and power. And being prideful about our self, our own sense of power, our own sense of money, our own sense of what is right and what is wrong, the Bible says that's the way of the fool. Failing to see the Lord as the source of everything leaves us in a position to think of ourselves as God. This goes back to where we began. Ownership versus stewardship. See, if I view everything I have and and the the job of being alive in this world is to make a whole lot of money and to hoard it and to keep it and to not give it away, that is saying I am the owner of my life. But when we read the scriptures and we follow Jesus, we understand that everything we have has been given by God, not just for ourselves, but to give away and to help. But pride takes what belongs to God, his way of living, his way of viewing money, His way of viewing the other and saying, I don't need to do it that way. Humility says, I I am supposed to. So how how do we live? I think all these things are quite relevant. Our mouths, the mirror, position, power. These are all major temptations for you and I in this world, in this particular moment. What is it? How is it that we uh, stop doing these things? Well, yeah, be more thoughtful. I believe spend more time with Jesus I believe less time looking for knowledge in other places, more time finding knowledge from God and his word, Um, being careful about the sources that we listen to, being aware of the philosophies and positions that that are trying to um, merge as, as primary sources in our life. But of everything, I believe God calls us to be much more discerning than we often are. Ray Ortland Jr. in his commentary on the book of Proverbs uh, says there's three words he uses that capture how humility behaves. And those three words are reveres, listens, and confesses. And very practically, I believe that's what I want to leave you with today. Is what does it look like in your life to revere, listen, and confess? Both in your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. Do you really revere the Lord? Are, are, are we listening to his word, to listening for his voice? And are we confessing the gap? First four verses of chapter 30, we see that. 
We see Agur um, revering the Lord as he understands who he is in comparison to who God is. And he is confessing the gap between being human and being God. That is a great way to cultivate humility. But not only with God, with one another. Do you really revere someone who thinks differently than you? Do you really revere and listen to other perspectives and other positions and and those who even your brothers and sisters in, in the faith who might see things a little bit differently? To listen well, we have to revere and respect one another. But my assessment is that our mouths get in the way. We don't look in the mirror long enough. We're too fascinated with holding up our own position and power than to give those things away. And it's in that prideful whirlwind that we are in that we can not be cultivating humility. Lake Avenue Church, as we head into these next months, and they are trying, aren't they? They're real trying. Here we are months into the pandemic. We don't know when we'll be back meeting together. It's an election year. There is a a bunch of information out there that is designed to keep us at war with one another. We're in a context that says, I'm right, you're wrong. Not only am I right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're dumb. I mean, this is the world we live in. And I want to encourage us to take some faithful steps. Yes, revere, listen, and confess, but also broaden and listen. I'd love for you to Google (laughs) Golden Rule 2020. I'd love for you to read about that. It's a group of pastors and faith leaders prior to the pandemic who came together out of their concern that this election year was going to destroy the body of Christ. And in there, they they have a, a, a vow, a commitment that they ask individuals and congregations to make. That between now and the end of the election, this is how I'm going to behave. This is how I'm going to use my words. I'm going to view myself. This is how I'm going to listen. This is how I'm going to revere. This is how I'm going to be civil and kind. And I'm encouraging you as an individual, and I am going to be encouraging us as a congregation to consider signing that as a place of accountability. Because here's the the reality. There's a lot we don't know. I know you think you know everything. I know I think I know everything. There is so much more going on in this world that God wants to teach us. And he is the source of knowledge. He is the source of wisdom. He is the source of truth. And for us in this moment where there's just constant talking and noise and rhetoric, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, to breathe deeply? And to make some commitments to not take what belongs to God and ascribe it to ourselves. To not be people of pride, but to be people of humility. Father, we need your help. Part of being human from day one was us going on our own way. Building up for our lives what we want, what we think, what we crave. And I believe, God, that your scripture calls us to submit to you for everything. And so we need a reorientation. And we live in a very difficult time, in a very difficult world, in a very divided country. 
And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are listening, whether they live in Los Angeles County or Michigan or Malaysia or wherever people are joining us today. God, that the people who identify with a being part of Lake Avenue Church, God, that we would be different. And that maybe, just maybe, you would use us to not fuel more division, but that we truly could become salt and light that we could use our mouths and our words in a humble way, that we would be able to see ourselves correctly and not have disdain for the other. God, that we would use all that you've given us, all the position you've given us for the other, and that we would lay down our position and power so that you might work through us. God, we need your help. Help us know what we don't know. Help us own our ignorance and help us watch you move in this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.